Democracy and Education, Episode 4. It's 2024. Let's get going. Hi, I am Karen Chenoweth, and this is Democracy and Education, the podcast about running for school board. Apparently, there are some other election campaigns going on in 2024. We'll let others focus on them. This podcast will talk about school board races. We know that local school boards are in many ways the bedrock of democracy. There are roughly 88,000 local school board members, almost all of whom run for election. That means there are more school board members than any other kind of elected official. They hold the dreams of their communities for their children and are expected to live up to the small d democratic ideals of listening to constituents, learning about issues, and representing the desires of the majority of their communities in the light of facts and evidence. And yet, school board campaigns veer wildly from being political afterthoughts to being the targets of a massive extremist movement that is trying to radically reshape and even dismantle public education. This is for those school board candidates who are standing up for the idea of public education and democracy. To all of you, welcome. This is the first episode of 2024 and the first of a new format where I will be talking one-on-one with candidates and school board members, folks running school board campaigns, and with folks who can provide insight into the current education and political climate facing school board candidates. Part of the reason I decided to do this podcast is because I've been talking with folks around the country for the last year, and I've been heartened and cheered by getting to know such smart, caring, and strategic people. They care about kids, they care about education, and they care about democracy. They think about how to incorporate as many views as possible without losing sight of their principles. During a time when the national discourse can sometimes be discouraging, They make me feel better about our country, and I wanted to share some of their voices with you. Today, I will be talking with Chris Amundsen. Chris has been building her expertise for decades and generously shares it with others. She was a member of the Fairfax, Virginia School Board for 10 years, two as chair. She was a member of the Virginia General Assembly for 10 years and for many years ran the National Association of State Boards of Education. So she knows a lot about how school boards operate, the political environment in which they work, and campaigning for office. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Karen. It is great to be here, and welcome to everyone who is listening. If you are a first-time listener, then we welcome you to a community of people who really care about schools and our kids. And if you are a returning sort of frequent flyer, we're glad to have you back. As Karen said, 2024 is going to be a huge year for school board members on the ballot. It is my belief that other than those positions that come with access to the nuclear codes, there's really very little uh, in the way of a public office in the United States that is more important or more challenging than service on a local school board. It used to be you kind of ran in obscurity and frankly, you served in obscurity. That's not the case now. As Karen said, you really are on the front lines of democracy. So learning how to run a good, effective, and most important winning campaign 
um, is just key. I do not believe in moral victories. I think it is just important to run and win because the stakes are too high to do anything else. Well, in fact, today I thought we'd talk about what's at stake this year in terms of school board races. Right now, there are a lot of people thinking about whether they should run for school board. And I want to give them some facts and insights that they might want to consider before they take the plunge and also after they take the plunge. I should say, you and I did a whole podcast on running for school board that I'll link to in the show notes that has a lot more detail than we're going to get into today about things like fundraising, gathering petitions, and running a field operation. Today, we're just going to keep it pretty big picture. There are going to be more school board members on the ballot across America in 2024 than any other race. There are more than 21,000 school board seats that are going to be up for election in 2024. In just Texas and California, there will be 2,000 seats each in each of those states. And in Michigan, New Jersey, and New York, there will be more than 1,000 school board seats up and running. Now, Many of those will not be contested races, and this used to be much more true than it is today, but it is still true that in a lot of school board races, people um, just are not opposed. And if they're great people and they're doing all the right things, that's terrific, but maybe they're not. So I think it's important to um, focus on the fact that we could have as many as 20,000 contested school board races. And we know specifically because one thing about groups like Moms for Liberty is they do not play hide the ball. They tell you exactly what they're going to do. And what they're doing right now, very clearly, is saying we want to take over every school board in America and we'll do it sort of slowly, but that's exactly what we want to do. So even if your community has never had a contested school board race before, do not relax. Be prepared for a contested race. After November 7th, there was a big sigh of relief because a lot of the candidates supported by extremist organizations didn't really seem to have a lot of victories. Even the Moms for Liberty only claimed that about 40% of the candidates they endorsed won. In district after district, voters demonstrated that when they knew what the stakes were, they rejected candidates who advocated for banning books and limiting what children can learn. In Virginia alone, your state, uh, voters rejected extremism in Loudoun, Spotsylvania, and Henrico counties. Pennsylvania saw some important victories in Central Bucks and Central York, where there had been extremist school boards that banned hundreds of books, including the children's biography of Ruby Bridges, which makes me completely crazy, I have to say. (laughs) They made national news. So there were some real victories, but it would be a mistake to think that that's all there is to the story. First of all, Most school board races remained pretty boring. Uh, As you say, that may not last. The extremist organizations won enough of those races to encourage them. And I suspect that there are more out there that we don't even recognize because people people don't run saying, you know, I'm an extremist, right? (laughs) I'd just like to tell you that I'm here to destroy public education as we know it. Um, Vote for me. Yeah. They they just don't talk like that. They talk about all kinds of other things. And sometimes you don't 
even know that they are extremists until they're school board members trying to ban books or cancel mental health grants. If extremist organizations target more races in 2024, they will probably win more. And there are plenty of signs that they are planning to do just that. As you said, I mean, in uh county right near me, the local chapter head of the Moms for Liberty just announced her run for for school board. So they're running. They're going to run. So what's the answer to that, Chris? Well, the answer to an electoral issue is always beating people at the ballot box. But you can't beat something with nothing. So the key is to make sure that good pro-education people who are supportive of the of public education are going to run for school board. They can have a wide range of views on things like, you know, which reading basal textbook you should select or, you know, whether, I, I mean, whether it should be a K to eight model or a seven, eight, nine model at middle school, all of those things that school boards have to deal with. That's fine. As long as you fundamentally believe that public schools are for the public and they're for all kids, um, then I think you can at least think about running for school board and having something important to contribute. Let's be clear what's involved in running. Uh, Chris, in our our five-episode opus, you said that people can't run your father's campaign anymore. Your father ran with 25 bucks and a few lawn signs and business cards. But I will tell you, there are still people trying to run those campaigns. And they're losing. And they are losing. If I mean, and we watched that. We watched some, we watched in Virginia, some very good school board members who would not adapt to the changing world of, of campaigns, contested campaigns. So if you are not prepared to raise money, work hard, print literature, print signs, knock on doors, then what you need to do is find somebody who is and you can support them. But I will tell you that running for school board, as important as it is, is, is needs to be your top priority other than obviously your family and your job. That's it. If this is the year that you are also finishing your dissertation, this is not the year for you to run for the school board. If this is the year that you got elected as the senior warden of your church vestry, then this is not the year for you to run for the school board. So you find somebody who can and you support them as best you can. So the first thing is to acknowledge that it is not my dad's campaign. My dad did, in fact, spend $25 and he won, and he won pretty resoundingly. That, that's not the case anymore. Uh, so that's the first thing is acknowledge that it's going to be a, it is a different kind of race. And if you don't really want to learn something about how to run a campaign, then again, this is just not the way that you can best contribute to the dialogue. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing, and, and this is almost as important. We had a disaster in Fairfax County where a woman who was someone of the sort that we really kind of want to run, she'd never been involved at all. She'd been involved as a parent. Uh, she worked with parents in the school system. And um, she, you know, she worked with immigrant parents and she had great 
great background, but she didn't pay attention to the details. And so what's happening now is because the Moms for Liberty crowd takes these races so seriously, they went over all of her paperwork with an absolute eye to finding what they could what they could use to th get her thrown off the ballot. And for example, on one of her petition forms, she had somehow had a typo for her own address. Now she obviously knows where she lives, but she had not corrected it and the entire sheet of names was thrown out. Oh, that's painful. So was she thrown off the ballot as a result? She was. She was. It was it was tough for her, but it was tough for all of us. I mean, all of a sudden we had to raise tons of money in no time and organize a write-in campaign and, you know, find a lawyer who would take the case. And in the end, she prevailed. But boy, it was a lot of drama and angst that we could all, frankly, a week before the election have done without. So that's the other thing is, is you, you learn what the rules are, you follow them meticulously and precisely and get other people to proofread. It's like when you're handing in your first term paper in college, get somebody else to proofread it to make sure that everything is right. And then second, if they tell you that you need to submit 125 names, submit 225 names because, you know, what if some of them get thrown out? And so that is the difference. And, and it used to be, I am sure that there were people who filed petition forms 10 years ago with incorrect addresses on one page and nobody cared. You know, nobody cared about it. Now they do. It is, you should expect that everything you do is going to be scrutinized. And if there is a way for them to disqualify you, that is the easiest way for them to win an election is just to get you tossed off the ballot. So. Let me ask you this. Can can we look at the races that happened in 2023 and see some kind of commonalities of successful races? Yes. One is that they they tended to if there was a challenge, if there was a challenging group, then the successful candidates tended to run as a slate. And they were often mostly nonpartisan, at least officially. Um, however, if the Republican Party was standing at the polls, you know, um, uh, handing out the names of other people, voters are not dumb, they figured it out. But, um, but running as a slate with a shared message is one way to maximize your impact because you're never going to have enough money to do 20 mail pieces or anything. But so that's the first thing. The second thing is, yeah, get a pack behind you. Um, you know, uh, I know that you have a podcast with Conejo Valley where, uh, you know, a nonpartisan pack has led the effort to take back and then now maintain control of a local school board. I think that's just hugely important. Yeah, just so I, I'll do a little plug. So the first three episodes of this podcast of Democracy and Education uh, are the stories of three communities that fended off extremism, Conejo Valley, California, Carmel, Indiana, and uh, Plano, Texas. They all had 
nonpartisan PACs that could give permission to Republicans who didn't want to support extremism. Because it's important to note that for the most part, the Republican Party machinery has been enlisted to support extremists running for school board. Um, I We saw it. Uh, you and I saw you were at my polling place and and they would stand the the Republican and they were endorsed by political parties. But this woman who, you know, who we knew was a hardcore Moms for Liberty type uh, would say, hi, I'm an independent and I hope you can vote for me. My opponent is running as a Democrat. He has Democrat on his signs, but I'm running as an independent. Well, she wasn't. And he won 60-40, thank goodness. But um, voters, as a general rule, would prefer for there to be some, and especially, as you say, as the country becomes more and more partisan, we need to find those moderate Republicans who do not want people to ban uh, the biography of Ruby Bridges in their children's school and give them permission to vote for a candidate who is just going to be for good, solid education. So uh, if you can find a nonpartisan umbrella, that is always, I think, a great way to go. But in any event, join forces with other candidates and communicate a consistent message because that is the only way you can really break through. Yeah, I, we saw this work in um, Central York, Pennsylvania, where an extremist board, I, as I mentioned, an extremist board had, among other things, banned 300 books. Um, and the slate endorsed by the PAC included one Republican, two Democrats, and the slogan was, not Republican, not Democrat, Panthers, using the 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 mascot of the high school and that was hugely important they won decisively and just from a practical matter if if a candidate has an endorsement from a, the 1776 pack or the moms for liberty or one of the other um uh organizations that is associated with book banning etc the republican party comes in behind them and provides all of its normal machinery for uh, Republican candidates. The Democratic Party to date has not done that. Um, now, your district, Fairfax, is a little different. And actually, Pennsylvania is a little different also. They run partisan races. But most places, school board should be nonpartisan. And if you are not an extremist, you've got one t hand tied behind your back. Your, your opponent has a party machinery behind her, her or him, you do not. So you have to allow for that and organize, you know, it makes organizing just that little bit harder, but still very, very necessary. Yep. So a, another thing that I would say is that for most school board races, you're not going to probably find a campaign manager, nor would you have much money to pay a campaign manager but there are a host of tasks that you as the candidate cannot do. So what you then need to do is assemble a committee, a support group, a kitchen cabinet. People love to be called part of a kitchen cabinet for whatever reason that seems kind of glammy. 
And um, one person sets up the neighborhood coffees. One person, you know, records the information that you get at the doors. When somebody at the doors says, yeah, I am voting for you, then you want to make sure that you know who that is so that on election day, if it's two o'clock in the afternoon and Mr. Jackson has not yet voted, you know, somebody needs to reach out and say, hey, uh, don't forget it's election day today. Do you need a ride to the polls? Somebody needs to help you raise money. If you're going to have yard signs and we've had a long chat about yard signs, I believe in yard signs in yards. I'm not a big fan of yard signs by the side of the road. But yard signs in yards matter because, again, you look and you say, gosh, Karen Chenoweth is supporting her. She must, you know, Karen knows a lot about education. I'll ask her or that must, that's probably enough for me. So you need all of those things. And if you think you can do it by yourself, again, just take some money and, and light it on fire because you are not going to win. Um, and and then finally, remember that however painful it is, and I worked with at least one candidate this last cycle who just hated asking people to give him money, which was a sign, I think, that he was a fully integrated human being. But when people give you $5, they will vote for you. So give them an opportunity. You don't have to call them up and ask them to be, you know, the... Um, big super PAC that's going to give you $20 million, but but could you do a little mailing and get people to give you a $5 contribution or buy a sign for $5 to put in their yard? Because that means they'll vote for you. So I think those are the things. Are one, campaigning is real. It's got to be your most important thing. Second, it is way better if you don't do it alone. And then third is have a really clear, consistent message. We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. We're Panthers. Or, um, you know, in Fairfax, we, we, we had candidates who ran on ban, ban guns, not books in schools. And that was, you know, in our community, that was an effective thing. I don't know that it would be in rural parts of the country, but it worked for us. So I, I would say that. And then finally... Surely there is some person in your team who is good on the internet and on research. Many of these candidates who they are running have almost no footprint. But can you tie them to, you know, things that um, other, they were endorsed by, you know, Moms for Liberty and Moms for Liberty has subs also banned Ruby Bridges, whatever. What you need to do is make it clear to voters that the choice is between people who want to change public education fundamentally and in ways they don't want versus you who want to improve schools, certainly, but you know, still want to maintain a lot of the basics. And so you got to have somebody who does, and in politics, we call that oppo, opposition research, and it's there. You just have to look for it. Well, it, it, it is sort of stunning. The, when extremists get, make it onto school boards and start doing all kinds of extreme things, and we've seen this around the country, people who voted for them are shocked. You know, that's not what they wanted. They wanted 
some change. They may they may have not liked what was going on in the schools. They didn't want to dismantle public education altogether. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, and it used to be, you know, that people ran for school board because they were mad about the football coach. That was a big motivating force for a lot of people to run for school board in the olden days. That is not the case now. But um, but there will be little tells, you know, there will be little tells. People also need to go to events and ask them specific questions. One of the things that we noticed in the last year was that the extremist candidates didn't do a lot of public forums. They didn't do the League of Women Voters. They didn't do the Rotary. They did, you know, they didn't do the sort of standard uh, events that most candidates are used to doing. And so they remained kind of mysteries. And school board races are such low information races that people will go to the polls and vote on the basis of a name. You know, well, that name sounds good. (laughs) You know, they they choose candidates the way they, I choose Kentucky Derby, uh, you know, horses, you know, by the colors, the name. (laughs) But, but it is, it is a humbling experience when you are a candidate for school board to stand at the polls and people are like, Oh, school board? Oh, who who am I supposed to vote for? Karen, I think one of the other things about the fact that the other crowd, the other guys, do not show up at the League of Women Voters or whatever is, you then really need to. You know, you need to be at the League of Women Voters debate, at the Civic League debate, whatever, because you need voters who who probably, you know, again, didn't know there was an election for school board, got no idea who's running. And they see you and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, he seems pretty reasonable. Well, and that's what, uh, so Michael Cook in the, in the podcast episode about Plano, Texas, he went everywhere. He went to the conservative, Republican, libertarian, you know, whatever. And he answered their questions and talked with them. And if he didn't win them all over, I think he probably at least convinced them he was a reasonable human being that shouldn't be opposed as if he were not. Uh, because he is a reasonable human being. <laughs> He's a terrific guy. Yeah. So one of the things that you really emphasized in our five podca- five episode podcast was you're really setting up a business. Um, and that really stuck with me because I think then then people kind of can get it, right? You have to name a business. You have to open a bank account with the name of the business, not some other <laughs> name. You need to file reports. You need to, you don't necessarily need to hire people unless you have enough money to be able to hire a, a at least a part-time campaign manager or a hard, part-time campaign consultant. Um, by the way, we have quite a few resources that we're, that we're directing people to that include some volunteer campaign managers who understand they are professionals and they understand the importance of school board campaigns and they are volunteering their time to some school board candidates. So like there are people out there, there are things out there, there are 
resources out there to help people. But one of the things we know, and this is a really painful topic, I think, one of the things we know that can derail a good school board campaign is if there are multiple good people running for the same seat. Splitting the vote can allow extremists to slip in unnoticed. Everybody's going, well, should should we have Chris or Karen? Well, Karen prefers this and Chris prefers that. Um, which do I prefer? And meanwhile, <laughs> there's Joe over there. There's Joe over here who's, who's let's, you know, let's turn our libraries into detention halls. That's a... Uh, you know, going on, that's happening right now, this minute in Texas. In in Houston, uh, specifically. So that's a painful topic, but people have to, this isn't about you. It's not about you. We want to support all the good people, but we can't support everybody. And And here's the thing, and I got involved in that situation in my home district. There were two nice, both first-time candidates running, but one of them clearly had the experience, had been a civic involvement, had been all those things, um, had helped, had led the bond referendum campaign in our district, and had been a PTA activist, all of those things. And the other one is a nice person, and in five years, should he want to run, you know, could potentially be a good school board member, but he had no experience that he was going to be able to talk about. And we knew that the, uh, that the extreme right wing was going to run a candidate. So we did have to get involved. And the candidate could not do that himself. So it was the incumbent school board member who did it. I, as a, as a former school board member, did it. We got some of what I guess in the olden days would have been like the village elders. And we just made it clear that we are for candidate A, and that does not mean we are against candidate B over the life of his, his potential involvement. But in this race, we are for candidate A. And I sent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails and marked sample ballots and had it on my phone so I could text it to everybody so they knew who to vote for. And so did a few other people. And we just hauled that candidate right across the line. So that's what you sometimes have to do. And and they're, you know, he's the other guy is a little, I mean, you know, it, it's painful to lose an election as we all know. But if he wants to, he'll come back and he'll do an even better job. But it's it's really important when the stakes are high, not to say, oh, well, they're both nice. And oh, I don't think that Joe can win anyway. Because uh, Joe could easily win if if 60% of the vote is split between two good candidates. Joe can Joe can sneak on in. It's math. It's just basically math. I mean, I in general, I I feel like everybody should run. If anybody who wants to run should run. But honestly, the stakes are too high. It's not really about you. If you're going to be the weaker of two good candidates, step back and run the next time. Um, and and quite honestly, some of all this can feel a little overwhelming. 
But the fact that we've been sort of complacent about school boards as a nation, it seems to me. We just figure they exist. They're made up of public spirited people who may or may not do a good job, but the schools will survive no matter who's on the school board. We now have a real effort to dismantle public schools. And part of the strategy is to run school board members who have no real interest in doing a good job because they don't really believe that school public schools should exist, at least in the present form. It's going to take a concerted effort by those who believe in the promise of public education to help all children to stand up to that kind of extremism and make sure that school boards are made up of competent, caring, dedicated, responsible people who take their jobs seriously and the mission of public schools seriously. So know what's involved. That's what we've been talking about. Be serious about it, but don't let worries stop you. Right. Because I, I will say this. It is, you know, the hours are terrible. The pay is worse. And it is the best job you will ever have. Because every now and then, they'll let you read to kindergartners. And they let you come to basketball games and sit midcourt and... I used to get to direct the high school band, my annual effort in Lenten humility. I was a terrible band director, but boy, it was fun. And we made really important decisions about things that mattered to kids. And we improved reading instruction, and we added the number of foreign languages that students could take, and we did all kinds of things. So is it hard? Absolutely. But, you know, a lot of things in life are. And in fact, many of the most important things that you ever do are hard. But it is so, so worth it. In a lot of ways, it's the best public service job I ever had. I, and, and I always encourage people to run because it really, you know that at the end of every single meeting, you can look back and say, yeah, you know, I made a difference for kids today. So Chris, this was a great conversation to kick off our newly revamped podcast. Uh, but I, again, I want folks to go back and listen to our five episode podcast. So you want to run for school board. Here's the deal. Know the rules and follow them. If, if, if you couldn't listen to all five of those podcasts before you started running, although they make wonderful listening as you're in the car going from door knocking in neighborhood A to door knocking in neighborhood B, um, what I will tell you is the single most important thing is don't screw it up because you had a typo on your petition. <laughs> Words to live by. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so this is the first episode in 2024 of Democracy in Education. And throughout the year, I plan on talking with folks who can help us think through all of the issues shaping school board races. If you're a school board candidate or no one, please let your friends and colleagues know about this podcast. Like us, subscribe, leave reviews, you know the drill. But also, consider joining us. We have a community of school board members, former members, candidates, and folks supporting school board candidates who come together in monthly calls and on a members-only forum on our website. That website is www.assistdemocracy.org. That's assistdemocracy.org. 
And again, Chris, I just want to say I knew I needed to talk with you for the first one of the year. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. 